This program has been made possible through the support of Vanda, creators of solutions for non-24 disorder. ACB thanks Vanda for their support. Learn more about non-24 by visiting their website at www.non24.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon, everyone. Joining us for our second AAVL session of the afternoon. I'm going to give the opening code. The opening code is 48332. 48332. So we have two topics to cover this afternoon. Our first topic, there is a change from the program. I apologize for that. It's been an emailed out, but it was too late for the program. We are going to cover the topic of emergency preparedness, disaster preparedness. I do hope in the next few weeks to get a community call on fall prevention, though, because it's an equally important topic. Today, to talk about disaster preparedness, we truly have an expert in the field. Cecilia Warren is Director of Emergency Preparedness Policy for the Maryland Department of Disabilities in Baltimore. And I'm not going to waste any more of her time. We're going to go right to Cecilia to give you some very important information. So, Cecilia. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for such an enthusiastic welcome. Today, we will be discussing some disaster planning, also known as emergency preparedness. There is no one specific method for this task. My role is to provide you with some resources and guidance from the perspective of someone who has worked my entire career in public safety, and I am also blind. I won't be repeating the well-known steps that you can find online, but digging a little deeper into specific areas that we find are often overlooked. As Jeff mentioned, I currently work as a policy director and emergency manager for Maryland Department of Disabilities. I have been assigned full-time to the COVID-19 response and recovery since January 2020. In addition to this presentation today, I will provide a link to the toolkit, Planning for People with Disabilities and Others with Access and Functional Needs. You could keep this in your resource library. It was created for planners and emergency managers. It has been distributed widely, and we continue to receive requests from other states for additional copies. It is in its third printing, and the toolkit addresses unmet needs down to the very micro level to ensure that people can remain as independent as possible, and this is our guiding principle um, as an agency as far as emergency planning. And we know that people with disabilities are disproportionately impacted by disasters. Individuals who live independently in the community are often placed inappropriately in nursing homes and institutions after a disaster because their home is no longer habitable. This is a practice we do not accept. Today, I will not be referring to the toolkit, but if you wish to dig deeper on the topic, we do have that available for you. So when you think about the perpetual cycle of emergency management, the first part is preparedness, which is what we are discussing today. The following sections are response, which is when the incident occurs, recovery, that's post-incident, and response and recovery are very resource-intensive processes. Oftentimes, we start recovery planning before an incident even occurs. In a presidentially declared disaster, 
we don't typically see federal assistance start to arrive until the recovery process starts. And mitigation are all of the actions that are taken to reduce the impact of a hazard. For example, automatic fire sprinklers don't prevent a fire, but they can certainly mitigate the spread and damage that a fire can cause. Uh, We know that children and adults with disabilities are two to four times more likely to be injured or die in a disaster due to lack of planning, accessibility, and accommodation. Most are not due to diagnostic labels or medical conditions. And disasters do not impact all communities equally, as I mentioned earlier. We urge government entities, nonprofits, and other critical resources from the infrastructure uh, to really invest resources in disaster planning for people with disabilities. And as a, uh, an emergency manager and a person with a disability, I would urge you to always stay current with instructions, warnings, and announcements through traditional media channels that provide local and statewide information, but also through other sort of back channels or secondary channels, including social media. We suggest subscribing to your local jurisdiction's alert system for local notifications. Oftentimes, people can use the notifications, but those systems are not always accessible for registering. So, um, you know, that's something that you would have to check for your local entity. If you register and you find that you're having difficulty with registration, you would need to contact them if the website is not accessible. We have done a lot of remediation here to ensure that people can use that website independently. A National Weather Service radio is also a reliable way to receive rapid notification of impending weather emergencies. Important announcements are also posted on your state's emergency management agency uh, webpage. And we always urge that social media posts be made with accessibility in mind, that images are described, We always add captions to our videos and the ability to access information for individuals who use assistive technology is crucial. Our assistive tech should be able to be interoperable with critical messages. Um, I know that I don't want to find announcements about evacuation shelters in an image only PDF. So it really goes back to training the content creators how to make accessible documents and to put that effort in at the ground level so that you don't end up with an end product that has to have a tremendous amount of remediation in order for people to interact with it, to use it, to access it. People with disabilities need equal access to evacuation shelters. We don't want to be moved to a, quote, special needs shelter, which is segregated from one's family, community, and support network. Our policy in Maryland is to provide mass care in an integrated setting. We provide all of our mass care services under one roof. So that would mean pet sheltering, mass feeding, health care, and other support for unmet needs for our evacuees. There are some states that contract this service out, and we find oftentimes these vendors will place anyone who even uses a device such as a CPAP in, quote, a special needs shelter. So I really would just have to tell you that state to state, there are different policies. If you want to know the policy for your jurisdiction, you can reach out to your local emergency management agency or your state and ask them, you know, what is your policy on accessibility in your shelters? So I want you to think for a few moments about modern disasters and how they can cause a broad range of collateral problems for responders, communities, and survivors. 
So we like to use training and preparedness activities as planning tools. And when you imagine the impact of a multi-day incident, we think about food and water, shelter, medical needs and healthcare, government services, public safety, financial transactions. You may not be able to get money. Gas stations may be out of service. You could have transportation that's closed or roads that are impassable. Some examples of what can cause this, tropical storms, widespread electric failures, wildfires. It's not uncommon, even in urban communities, to be without electricity for a week. So you could have sweltering heat and no air conditioning. A disaster of this size also impacts your commercial businesses. Without electricity, fuel pumps can't operate. Point of service sales devices can't accept credit cards. ATMs can't dispense cash. The demand for food and water reaches a tipping point within days. And in an event where there has been plenty of notice, supplies can be depleted prior to the actual disaster, such as in a blizzard or hurricane. And we haven't even touched on what happens with public safety and other government services. So the need for help quickly outpaces the resources available. Even with mutual aid agreements, the local jurisdiction may not have the resources for such a large incident. So we look to build resiliency. And resilience is basically all the steps that you take before, during, and after an emergency or disaster to be safe and return to a pre-disaster status. You know, you want to get back to normal operations. So some of the things that the survivors from disasters need may include rescue, food and water, medical care, transportation, disaster services, replacement of durable medical equipment or medication, and you may need support in remaining in the most integrated setting. And there may be other unmet needs. For example, if you need to apply for assistance with insurance claims, you may need vital documents replaced because oftentimes disaster services require just even basic documents or verification. So, you know, if you don't have those documents and these services are closed, you really are in a, in a bad position. This is one of the things that we try to plan for when we open a recovery center, um, trying to assist survivors in getting those essential services that they need. The derivative impacts when you're doing your planning and thinking about, well, how could this really impact my situation? Um, there are people who end up homeless. They lose their savings due to the expense of evacuation or uninsured losses. We can have difficulty receiving accommodations in recovery services. So when you're thinking about a plan, and I realize there are many uh, disaster planning documents available online, I want you to think about the things that you may need that are unique to your situation, above and beyond what you would pack in a kit, the standard food and water. When I think about specific needs, I think about service animals or pets, dietary intolerance, if you have restricted or medical diet, durable medical equipment, you may need tire sealant for a wheelchair. If you use devices that have parts that break frequently, I use a guide dog, but I often have a cane with me if I'm on a deployment and I go through cane tips. Like I have to keep so many extras just in case I um, get it caught in a door or on a sidewalk. Those are the types of things that you're not going to find in a shelter that you would want to have spares to keep with you. Assistive technology is another important kind of unique need that individuals may have. 
in Maryland, we have these large assistive technology kits that we deploy to all of our congregate care settings. But even with that, we may not have all the chargers to cover all the various devices an individual may bring. So please ensure that you have the correct charger if you're bringing a device with you to a shelter or that you need to evacuate with one because it may not be a a universal charger that we can easily provide to loan that type of a charger for you. So I mentioned about mobility devices that have parts that may need frequent replacement. Individuals who receive home health care should have a plan with their service provider so that extra supplies, batteries, and medication can be provided in advance of a known event such as a hurricane or blizzard or a tropical storm. We find here that the home health care providers will bring out medical supplies in advance. Uh, We also have programs with the electricity providers to ensure that individuals who depend on life-sustaining electric-powered equipment, oxygen concentrators, IV pumps, could be a pump for a nasogastric tube, things like that, so that their service is not discontinued, especially during times of a declared disaster. That's often overlooked. Um, I know that some states, especially, I think it's in Los Angeles or it's California, they have a fabulous program where they'll provide temporary rechargeable batteries that can be used with medical devices. So that is sort of a newer program for many people. I just uh, became aware of it earlier this year, and we're looking at standing up something like that. With respect to finding your loved ones, oftentimes during a disaster, people get separated, and they need to try to reach out and be reunified with their family. So in a large-scale disaster, the local or the state social services or human service agencies will stand up a reunification hotline. But there are also other ways that this can be done. During a disaster, Google will often stand up what's called a person finder, and that is online. Now, person finder does not, it's a web tool, and it does not vet the content. So essentially, you're entering the information, searching for your loved one in a particular uh, region that's had a declared disaster. The Red Cross operates safe and well. That's for survivors that's inside of a disaster area to register the status for their loved ones that they're trying to locate. If it's a person located outside of the United States, a U.S. citizen living abroad, or perhaps they are traveling with a group or even a student, they should always register with the U.S. State Department prior to their departure. If for some reason we have to do a a mass um, or an emergency uh, repatriation, they have to be evacuated from the country. How will they know where to find you or if you're even located in a country where they're doing evacuations if you're not registered with the U.S. State Department? I would just say as a sidebar, that's something that you should always do if you're planning on traveling abroad. Emergency preparedness is not only about disasters, but it also includes hazard reduction, also known as mitigation in the home. So I think of some of the simple preventive steps that can reduce risk. Of course, cooking and fire safety is at the top of this list as far as being critical, not only when you live in a single family home, but if you live in a multi-use building or a multi-family type building, like an apartment or condos, 
oftentimes we find food is left on the stove, you know, cooking on the stovetop. Of course, never use aerosols around flammable vapors. And please don't burn candles unattended. Homes with children should have passive measures to prevent injuries such as baby gates, cabinet locks, childproof lids, and heavy furniture or TVs should be strapped or use hardware to secure them from tipping. And of course, smoke detectors in all sleeping quarters. One item that this always comes up at the end of a session, I want to mention that most households have difficulty in containing and managing the vast amount of paper and documents that must be retained. So identify what constitutes an important document that should be kept in a secure manner and be easily retrieved if necessary. I mention this because, as I said before, disaster survivors need some of these documents in order to apply for FEMA or various services. So it's wise to make copies in case a document is destroyed. I can't tell you how many times we open a recovery or a disaster service center and people don't have access to their birth certificate or a passport or an ID, a method to demonstrate their identity. And included with this is insurance documents, because that's just one of those things where having your policy with you will help when you get to a recovery center, and they may be able to help you file a claim with your insurance company. I wanted to finish up with a brief description of some of our initiatives in Maryland that we're doing to ensure that evacuees with disabilities are properly supported, especially in a mass care environment. As I mentioned, because each state can operate its disaster shelters the way they wish, you may wish to inquire and verify the level of accessibility in your shelters. First, all of our mass care shelters operated are fully accessible. We conduct annual inspections at these facilities to ensure they remain suitable for the whole community. We have addressed a number of concerns. Uh, we have designed and created several of these assistive technology kits that includes assisted listening devices, UBI duos, video magnifiers, noise-canceling headphones, communication boards, and a number of other devices. We also purchase large electronic monitors that are portable. We can provide messaging in large print, reverse contrast, any language, and put the messaging on a loop to ensure that shelter occupants stay informed. One issue we are still tackling in our shelters is wayfinding. We are exploring different options, such as remote vision interpreters or using the beacon-type systems. This is difficult to find a solution that's flexible and dependable given the unique environment that this will be deployed in. We do not own these assets that we use for mass care or in disasters. Um, you know, we have various agreements, but oftentimes these are schools or community centers, so I can't install a beacon system in a building that I may only use once every two years, or I could use it for two months out of two years. We just don't know. It depends on what disasters would occur and how long it will take for us to operate the shelter. We're very pleased that we've been able to implement a process for disaster survivors to request accommodations. This is recorded in the cases that we open, and no one should ever find that a disaster recovery center or service center is not accessible. If your needs are not being met, has to speak with a supervisor to make your request for accommodations. Um, most states now have some type of access and functional needs coordinator, and you can always start there uh, with the statewide emergency management agency and see if they can give you some support with that. I will end there. I've talked 
very rapidly. I, I hope I didn't go too quick. And I thank you for your attentive listening, and I will stand by for any questions. All right. Um, our host is Desi. Desi, do we have any hand? I want to thank you, Desi, and our streamer, both of them. Without them, we wouldn't be doing this. So, Desi, of do we have any hands? We have area code 770. You may talk. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon. This is uh, Phil Jones. I certainly appreciate your presentation. And uh, I'm glad that, that you mentioned electricity because so many of us depend on that now. And I, as we get older, especially, I know that I wonder sometimes what would happen to me. I, I have uh, speech processors. Um, I am a cochlear implant user and uh I often wonder what in the world would happen to me if the electricity went out for any, you know, significant period of time and I needed to charge my batteries up. That's very important. I do have at least one extra battery and hopefully we're getting more. Is how do we find out more about emergency preparedness? Where do we go specifically? What are some of the sources we can look into? Depending on what state you're within, you can start with your local jurisdiction, so whatever county or parish you live in with that emergency management agency. And then um, if they do not have a coordinator for people with disabilities or access needs, your state emergency management agency may have someone in that position. Most of the states do have that at this point. On a national level, the National Council on Disability does have a lot of emergency preparedness um, information available. And um, I'm happy to send you our toolkit that we use for a lot of planning. And um, one of these sections that needs to be updated is indeed this concept of sort of portable electricity. This um, has really emerged as a huge issue as there's been more widespread sort of blackouts of electricity and people being left uh, sort of stranded without any plan on how to provide electricity for their life-sustaining medical devices. For individuals who have devices that they receive from healthcare providers, they should be able to provide an extra battery, but that doesn't work for everything. It's just like what you're saying with the cochlear implant. We do, we do deploy large charging stations and centers for people to charge their devices um, when we have a, a, like a community disaster. And we find that that is incredibly popular. And we're trying to add like a Wi-Fi hotspot to those charging stations so that people can also access the internet. With the COVID pandemic, some of these sort of initiatives have become much more mainstream because the communities are realizing these are just basic infrastructure needs and they really can't be ignored. Thank you. So the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss has a fantastic website, I have to say. I have nothing to do with it, um, but it is fantastic. There's tons of resources. Um, the website, for those who might want to look at it, is... AAVL-blind-seniors.org. And the reason I mention it is I will, after this meeting, when everything settles down, I will talk with Cecilia and we'll get potentially some of these disaster preparedness resources on our website. So feel free to look at it now and even later on, we can address some of these items on the website. Our next hand is area code 951. 
My name is Nancy. I'm girl. I live in California. I know Jeff. Um, but I, my problem is I'm not, not being necessarily resourceful, but my friend and I don't drive. We use Dollar Ride. We don't have any neighbors, near, family nearby. And I, I've never found any way I could get to some of these places um, necessarily. Uh, thank you. Yes, this is Cecilia. I agree. Transportation, it is a universally difficult um, situation for us to overcome when we plan our, uh, when we have to start an evacuation and we provide um, transportation and buses, we still can't always get door to door. And so my challenge has been to identify who needs more of a a customized solution. Um, And we did not, uh, you know, most states, do not continue to maintain registries for many reasons, many valid security reasons and privacy reasons. So getting out there and canvassing, basically going door to door, sometimes that's what's needed for us to identify people who simply don't have the ability to do a self-evacuation. Thank yeah, you. We, just thought we, we, we can do it with the police. We can help be registered with the police. I don't know. The fire department so is Nancy- helpful, but thank, thank you. Yes. Nancy, you live in either Riverside or San Bernardino County. I forget which. Oh, Riverside, if, yes. Riverside, if I yeah. were you, I'd call your disaster preparedness folks or even the ADA coordinator for the county. And you may, your county may well have a registry for transportation for people with disabilities. So check into it and see what they've got. Because if you get on that registry, they may come pick you up automatically if a disaster were to befall you. Well, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. I never I want, why I didn't think about it. I don't know. Thank you very much. All right. Do we have more hands? Yes. Glenda, you should be able to talk. I went through the February freeze from hell here in Texas. And one thing that I did after that was I bought a charger that could be solar powered recharged. And that might, for small devices, might be something that uh, the gentleman with the cochlear ear or small like streams and things like that. Um, I the the transportation issue is the transfer because there was no way I was going to be able to get anywhere with ice. You know, I, I didn't even walk out the front door, back door. But just a suggestion to look for solar powered solar chargers that can be charged with solar. It takes a long time, but at least you can recharge and then recharge your devices. Great suggestion. The next hand is from Sarah. I have two questions. First of all, how do I get a hold of that information that you talked about at the beginning of the webinar? The um, Disabilities Access and Functional Needs Toolkit, the accessible document. I have a link to it. Maybe I could send it to Jeff and he could distribute it. Yep, we can get I would the link appreciate that website. because I'm already talking to somebody about helping me purchase a book from another seminar. I'm really concerned about this kind of stuff. And the other thing is I use a wheelchair also. I'm blind, but I also use a wheelchair. Do you know if they have an accessible solar power wheelchair charger? I don't know of a particular battery, solar powered battery for that. The ones we use tend to charge various types of medical devices. I don't have any reason to think that it would not work for it. I'm going to do some investigating, but I just want to say that, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got a social worker who's done everything she can to keep me in the home. I'm very lucky that way. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you for the good points. And the good questions. Okay, do we have another hand? Charlene Ornelas, you should be able to speak. We 
recently received a generator from the power company. Um, you have to be on a program, so check with your power company and see if they have it. It's for people who have like low incomes and that kind of stuff, medical devices and stuff that need electricity. And what it is, is a generator that can be charged either by power, by plugging it in when you got it, or when the power is gone, you can recharge it through solar. So it works on both, but it has a plug so you can use, plug in at least one device on it. So that will make a big difference at it. So it may have more than one. And my daughter bought one fairly inexpensively and hers has like four (laughs) plugs to it or three. And she can run multiple items so that uh, when the power goes out, they can still function. That's great. The next hand comes from area code 715. Wisconsin. I was just wondering if I could give you contact information because I would like to see if I can get a copy of your presentation he wants your contact information yeah i can send it through uh jeff my email that would be fine yeah we can't give out contact information here but if you there are people in this organization that know who i am like dan simple from wisconsin and others if you can get someone to get in touch with me then i can get you her information the other comment I had is the Wisconsin people with physical disabilities have a new toolkit, so that might be helpful for a lot of you. So thank okay. you for what you do. Can I have All your right. name? My name is Jeff Tom, and and I don't know if you know Paulette Monty, or there's a few other folks in Wisconsin, but some of them do know me, and, you know, we'll try to connect you up. Or you can call the national office, and they can get you in touch with me. Last name is T-H-O-M. Is it possible to make this the last question? I'm going to have this, to yes. jump on to another meeting. Thank this you. This will be the last question. Absolutely. Debbie Sanders. Yes, thank you for the great presentation. Um, I wanted to make another comment on as far as emergency management goes. I have a nonprofit and I recently had a seminar with a well-known national organization do a presentation for emergency preparedness. And one of the things that I mentioned in that seminar was that people who are blind could contact their county or city emergency management service and tell them that they are disabled and that they are blind and they can put you on a list. So in case of an emergency, you can be in their upper tier of people to go check on when an emergency or disaster happens. And they put it on some sort of like an overlay map. They love to get that information so that they know who they need to go check on during those times of crisis. Okay, thank Thank you. you. All right, Cecilia, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, and we'll certainly publicize the information that, you know, you pass along to me, put it up on our website. Thank you, everyone. Have a great afternoon. So now we're going to move along to our second topic. Normally, when we talk about accessible drug labeling, we're talking about all the complaints that we have and 
all the frustrations that we have with the pharmacists or the pharmaceutical companies or whatever. Well, today we have a company that's trying to answer all those problems. So we have with us today, Dr. Alex Cohen, PhD, who's Chief Marketing Accessibility Officer, and Andy Bernstein, who's Chief Executive Officer, both from the company Accessible Pharmacy Services for the Blind. And this company is out of Philadelphia. They're just a couple of great individuals here. I think you'll be excited to hear about them if you haven't heard from them already. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Andy and Alex. So, gentlemen. Hey, Jeff, thank you. First of all, that was a great introduction. And thank you so much for including us. We're really grateful. Um, we are both listed on the screen as Andy Burstein, but I'm the real Andy Burstein. Alex is the imposter today. Alex, why don't you go first, and then I'll jump in behind you, and then we'll open up the floor to questions. Okay. Uh, again, it, it is wonderful to be here, and, and thank you so much for coming and for your, your kind attention. Again, my name is uh, Alex Cohen. I am a proud co-founder of uh, Accessible Pharmacy. I guess really to understand about Accessible Pharmacy, you have to understand where Accessible Pharmacy came from. So I myself am blind and have always struggled with uh, my own medication management and uh, the medication management of uh, my family. I also am a a father of uh, two sons. Within my own experiences, I always faced difficulty managing my medication and that of my children, trying to reorder prescriptions and keep track of everything. And so this was uh, one of those tasks that uh, usually fell to, to my wife, who, who is sighted, but is also a nurse and a medical professional. So, you know, it wasn't, wasn't falling into bad hands. But while I was pursuing my doctorate, I did all my dissertation work. All of my research was about how to make the existing both online and physical marketplace more accessible for people with disabilities, uh, more specifically for the blind and low vision community of which I am a part. So what we found was the online marketplace, the online pharmacies, whether they were standalone or whether they were in uh, big box retailers or grocery chains, their websites were incredibly inaccessible. Not only was information being lost, but also different transactions and um, you know signing up for different promotions and programs were very difficult. I'm sure we're all very well-versed in, in what was happening with uh, the Winn-Dixie case uh, a few years back. And so this led to more research. So you know I know about my own experiences, but I also know as a professor and a researcher that my own experiences don't mean quite as much as that of a, a larger population. Uh, So we started asking people, we started doing interviews and field research and see what the experience was like for the blind and low vision community uh, in terms of, you know, going to pharmacies, uh, whether interacting with the web pages or going to the pharmacies. And you would go to the pharmacy and you ask at the uh, counter, what do you do for uh, blind patients or blind customers? And there is typically one of three answers. The first answer was, uh, well, we, we don't really have anything. That's a lousy answer, but it's an answer. Uh, The second is, I think that we can print out a label uh, larger. Would that help you? And maybe in certain low vision instances, it might. Uh, And perhaps the third and best possible 
solution you would get when asking at a pharmacy, what do you do for uh, blind patients? I think we have something somewhere that might, I think, read labels to people. Okay, what's it called? I, I can't remember. Is Well, do you have it here? Is there anybody that can help? And, you know, maybe that person was available or maybe that person will, well, they'll, they'll be working again on Tuesday. So come back. And of course, they were talking about a wonderful product called Script Talk that reads labels through the use of uh, RFID tags. So if you have a Script Talk reader or their app on a smartphone, it will read the contents of the label aloud. And so this was the very best that there was in the marketplace for a long time. This was the best there was for blind people, was uh, Script Talk. Now, fast forward a bit. I finish my uh, doctorate and I become a professor of marketing and I meet my uh, new partner and best friend, Andy Burstein, who was also working in the accessibility space, trying to develop a tool to make websites more accessible. And we got together and started uh, talking about, you know, there really is a, a gap in pharmacies in terms of the services they offer to uh, the blind and low vision community. And there's got to be something we can do about it. And so we started, again, doing more research, asking people and, and doing a lot of field work, saying what type of accommodations were available? What types of things were being done to alleviate any challenges or barriers that people who are blind or low vision might have in managing their own medication? And we found that there was very, very little help. And so we started developing ideas through uh, the help of a, a lot of wonderful organizations and through asking people and finding out, you know, what is available and what we could do. And so we started Accessible Pharmacy, which is a company that specializes in medication management for the blind and low vision community. And so we offer uh, lots of different accommodations and amenities to try and alleviate those barriers that might come. For example, when somebody, when a patient calls accessible pharmacy, and we always, we like to, you know, even though people can communicate with us through uh, social media or through our website, uh, we have a lot of uh, high-tech avenues and communication platforms, we actually prefer a phone call because we think that, you know, that really gets us to be, uh, you know, much more uh, upfront and personal with our patients, with our clients. So they call us, and, and in that initial call, we understand that just because somebody is blind or, or low vision, they might have a lot of, um, well, I guess we just say that it, it's not a homogeneous market, right? Not all blind people are the same. You know, there are people who have uh, different degrees of blindness or low vision. There are different education or income levels. There are people who uh, are in rural areas or urban, suburban. There are also different ages, people who have a lot of different uh, medical issues. We treat people who might just be on a cholesterol or a blood pressure medication to uh, diabetics who, who might have um, multiple mal maladies at one time. So we understand that there is no one size fits all. But first and foremost, everything we do starts with accessibility. So within the first call, somebody would reach out to us and we would, after getting their insurance information and getting uh, other you know, information from them, 
we start off by becoming part of their medical team, their healthcare team. We want to be, you know, healthcare is a collaborative effort. And so we'll reach out to their primary care physician, their existing pharmacy, and their endocrinologist, their cardiologist, their psychiatrist, you know, uh, whoever it is that they might be uh, seeing uh, or who might be prescribing medications for them. And we get everybody on the same page and have everything running through us. So now we handle the prescriptions, and when any of the uh, prescribing physicians uh, write a prescription or new, phys- uh, new prescriptions, it goes directly through us. So that way, the primary care physician knows what the cardiologist is doing, or the endocrinologist knows um, about you know, the different uh, psych meds <laughs> that somebody might be on. So it's, it is a collaborative effort, and we keep track of, of everything. Now, when I say alleviating barriers, you know, we accept all insurances and are particularly adept at working with a Medicare, Medicaid, um, and we offer uh, consulting during the open enrollment process to make sure that, uh, or to advise our patients that they're on the program that really best fits their uh, medication regimen and their medication needs. As a blind person myself, something I always had difficulty with was trying to reorder or refill a prescription on a smartphone when I, you know, it's a 10 digit or 20 digit number. It was just, it was absolutely bananas. It's too hard to do as an expectation. And for that, we uh, offer a uh, continual uh, refill reordering program where uh, we do all that for our patients. Uh, We work to refill uh, the prescriptions and once the prescriptions are out and need to be reordered, we will contact the uh, prescribing physician and either they'll redo the refills or they might uh, communicate to us, well, we'd really like to see this patient in our office again before we uh, do this prescription. And we'll relay that to the patient and, and, and let them know. Again, we're part of the team. We're here to do that. And we do offer free home delivery. And so uh, one of our patients can expect that they will receive their package of uh, their medications same time each month in the same way in the uh, packaging uh, that best suits their needs. So the continuity of care is never broken. We don't ever have problems uh, shipping or the, uh, you know, if there are problems at the post office, there is, um, you know, an expectation that our patients will have that they will receive their medication at the same time each month. Now, we also help our patients in terms of consulting and and helping them try to get different uh, accessible medical devices, such as talking glucometers or or whatever else might be coming on the market at the time. We are our patient's best advocate, making sure that they're receiving the medication and any products they need to help them achieve their health care goals and removing barriers of uh, inaccessibilities. That is our first step. And the second step is have a very high uh, level of a clinical footprint where there are a lot of safety protocols in place in terms of what we do, how we manage medications, how we uh, measure drug interactions, and uh, how warning, you know, many warning systems that come to us. Because I'm not sure if the folks in the audience are aware, but medication management errors are in the top four causes of death in the United States. So it really is a very serious problem. So anything that we can do to help people, we sort pills for our patients, including any vitamins or supplements 
in terms of a.m., lunchtime, p.m., bedtime, whatever that looks like. I'm uh, in, a, in just a moment, I'm going to let my uh, partner, Andy, talk a little bit about the different packaging and labeling options that we offer. But medication management is something that we take very seriously. And we just understand that things are difficult on the blind and low vision community. And particularly for seniors who uh, might have either been blind all their lives or become blind based on uh, age-related eye diseases and might need just a little bit more assistance. And that's where we come in because safety should be a primary concern of everyone. And considering the ease with which medication management uh, mistakes can be made, uh, those mistakes can be uh, quite dangerous. And we want to help prevent any problems that might come as a result of general medication management being difficult for anybody, but just being a little bit more difficult with a loss of vision. So Andy, why don't you tell them a little bit about the labeling and the process? Oh, sure. Thanks, Alex. If we take a step back, we have three spheres in our company. We have accessible support, accessible packaging, and accessible labeling. And what we do with our patients is try to find the best combination of each to help that patient manage their medication, manage their diabetes better, and live more independently and healthier lives. So I'll I'll real quickly talk about accessible support. As Alex mentioned, the easiest way and the way that we recommend interacting with our patients is old school. Just pick up the telephone and call. It's a five to 10 minute call and we can start to put things in motion for you and give you feedback so that you can determine if in fact we're a good fit or not. That being said, we also can interact and support patients with text messaging, with emails, and we are the pharmacy uh, partner for Be My Eyes. So for those of you who use Be My Eyes, we are in the specialized help section and we can support patients using the Be My Eyes app. The second sphere is accessible packaging. We have over 10 different kinds of accessible packaging that can help someone organize and manage their medication easier and more efficiently. So for example, we have pre-sorted disposable pill organizers, different sizes and shapes depending on the types of medication that you take. And by the way, with all of our packaging, we can combine in this packaging prescription medication, vitamins, supplements, over-the-counter medication. So you can try out, by the way, all this packaging is free. You can try out different size and shape disposable pill organizers. We have individual daily packets, which are essentially like a three-inch by three-inch little baggie that gets pre-sorted with all your medication inside of it. We have different size and shape bottles with different types of lids that can help certain individuals that may have some dexterity or mobility issues. The final layer, the final sphere, is accessible labeling. We have the ability to provide different kinds of labels to help people understand what's in the packaging. So for example, Alex mentioned uh, earlier, uh, we are huge fans of Script Talk. Uh, Script Talk is a solution that was created by Envision America. And you can choose to have a Script Talk sticker put onto your packaging, any of our packaging. It's almost like a little microchip that's inside a sticker. And when a patient scans it with a smartphone or uses a little device that Script Talk can send you for free, and it resembles a clock radio, all you need to do is put your packaging next to the device or the app, and it reads all the information out loud to the patient. That's one option. For those of you who are Braille readers, we can package any of your packaging and your medication in either grade one or contracted Braille. We can furnish labels in large fonts. We can adhere QR codes to different packages. So there are different things that we can do to help with the labeling. And what we encourage our patients to do is 
try different things out. Try some different kinds of packaging. Try some different kinds of labeling until you ultimately reach a point where you're like, I got it. This is really helpful to me. So what other things are we doing to support patients? In addition to human medication, we also provide guide dog and companion pet medication. And similarly, we can package all your medication, your pet's medication, in the accessible packaging with the accessible labeling. We're in the process of developing some solutions to help individuals manage liquid medications as well. And identifying, you know, it's not just putting it in a format that makes it accessible and manageable. It modifies expiration dates. So we're doing a lot of work on it, but our goal is by the end of this year to have a handful of solutions to help people manage liquid medication. We offer a full range of diabetic supplies, ranging from insulin to talking glucometers. We also support some of the continuous glucose monitoring systems like Libre or Dexcom. We do home COVID testing. Thankfully, that's subsiding a lot right now. No one's calling us for home COVID testing. We hope it stays that way. But in the event, if anyone ever needs home COVID testing, we can send you a kit. You can engage us through Be My Eyes, and we can walk you through executing the kit and get the test results. And finally, we, we have a collection of small, accessible medical devices. So things like, for example, a talking thermometer or a talking glucose meter, where we can actually send you the device, you can engage us through Be My Eyes or through the phone, and we can train you real simply about how to use the device and program. Finally, we have a whole collection of educational programs that we're rolling out throughout the rest of the year. We're doing a program with Be My Eyes and the Perkins School in the middle of August. It's a back-to-school program for young adults who are either leaving the home for the first time or going to a dorm for the first time and need some help you know, having a softer landing when they get to their destination. In October, we're going to be doing a breast cancer program for uh, blind women who may, be, may have a genetic predisposition to breast cancer or just want to learn about breast cancer or even are survivors of breast cancer going through breast cancer currently and really understanding treatment options, surgical options, recovery options. And finally, uh, we have something else in the pipeline. We're going to be expanding our diabetes programs. We run diabetes education programs with the University of Pennsylvania's Diabetes Education Center. If anyone wants to check out our website, our website is accessiblepharmacy.com. It's a very screen reader friendly website. We're going to be adding new solutions. What's interesting is if we take a big step back, like we have the ongoing pursuit of accessibility. We haven't figured it out. We're just scratching the surface. So we rely on our patients giving us feedback, our partners giving us feedback, our vendors giving us feedback, our employees giving us feedback. 20% of our employees are blind themselves. And we learn from everyone. And, and our goal is to continuously pursue accessibility. Our phone number, if anyone likes to reach out to us, is 215 799 9900. That's 215-799-9900. We're currently licensed in 31 states. Uh, we filed applications in every state. Our hope is that by the end of this year, we will have a national footprint. We're also licensed in Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. If anyone has a smartphone, you can just ask Siri. Say, Siri, call Accessible Pharmacy. And Siri will respond back and say, do you mean Accessible Pharmacy in Fairless Hills, Pennsylvania? That's us. And finally, as we mentioned, on the specialized help section on Be My Eyes, you can connect with us as well. Jeff, I think that's all that Alex and I really have to share. We'd love to open up the that's floor great. to questions. Do we have any hands? Uh, this is some outstanding information. This right. is Diana. Yes. Thank you for the presentation. It was awesome. Uh, one Thank of the you. questions I think was already answered. I'm a partial, but I, you know, I, I get my, um, I'm a post-bariatric, 
So I take my supplements and I also take some medication for insomnia and for recurring depression. So I have two pill um, cases um, because, you know, it's, um, it's a lot to take every day. And my vitamins, only my vitamins is like five pills a day. So my question would be, yes, you provide um, supplements as well, right, for the thing. But my doubt was, how do I, right now I use whole scripts. And they send those in those little bags, like I say, three by three, which I don't particularly like because I put in my pillbox is easier for me to handle than to be tying up every day two two little bags, right? So it's, besides the bags are not, I don't, I cannot read what they say. But do you handle the envision or the um, how do you handle the labeling and how do you handle the uh, all these prescriptions that I have? I mean. The vitamins are not really prescriptions, but I have to take them every day. Like uh, these pill so, pack sorts of things, right? Isn't that what they're called? That would be one, yes. Uh, when I get my medication from CVS, I already tried, well, before to get the Envision labels. They didn't have it at the, at, at the time. But now I'm in Virginia, I'm Falls Church, so I believe they should have it here because you said you have your license in D.C., so they probably will have something similar here. But I asked for large print labels. They couldn't provide that either. So I have to see which bottle it is. So, yeah, that's for both, for labeling and bottle and also for the Envision because I, I wanted to get that one as well that can read the labels for me. Fortunately, we are licensed in Virginia. And everything you just spoke about, we can help you with every single one of those components. We have the individual daily packets similar to PillPack. We can also pre-sort it all for you in a disposable pill organizer. So you don't have to worry about sorting it. You can try out. We can put the Envision America script talk on any of the packaging as well. And you can try. We can do other things as well. And you can keep trying things until you figure out the ultimate solution to help you manage it all. Oh, that's great. And there's you know? no charge so, for any of that, by the way. For the uh, the pill bottles, you say, right? Yes. Why don't you the repeat script? the phone number, uh, Andy? And oh, sure. It's 215-799-9900. Okay, great. Oh, that's great. I, I just did my blood work uh, for this year for the checkup, the, for the yearly checkup. Fortunately, I don't have major issues in my health, but... So I'm going to wait for the, this uh, blood work to come back and my doctor talk to me and see what he recommends. I mean, if he's going to keep the same prescription and I certainly will be in touch with you. Oh, um, and if you want, we can actually schedule a call with your physician and have a conversation with the doctor to really make sure we understand all the nuances of your medication. Oh, that's great. That's even better. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes, he's in Arlington, but he'll he be happy to know that. He has a couple of other blind uh, patients because he's a doctor for veterans sometimes. And okay. uh, I think he will be glad to see that. Thank you so much for your presentation. It's great. I appreciate okay. it. Also, also, it's not just for the blind and low vision community as patients. For example, we understand that you know many of you out there might be caring for somebody else, whether that might be a spouse or, or a child who might be sighted but need a little additional assistance with their medication. So we could always package people's medication that you might be caring for in such a manner as to help you with that as well. Sandy. I have a few quick questions. First, are you licensed to work in Florida? Second, you mentioned getting into liquid medications. Do you handle eye drops? And third, how do you charge for your services? How's your pricing compared to if I wanted to go to my drugstore to get my medication? 
Yes, we are uh, fully licensed in Florida, and we're excited. We're actually uh, now uh, hiring for uh, sales. Uh, we're looking for blind and low vision uh, sales reps in, in Florida right now. So we're very excited about uh, being licensed in Florida. Yes, we do handle eye drops, and we are actually part of a, a campaign to try to get eye drops more easily uh, prescribed or uh, prescribed in, in greater amounts because we understand that there's a little bit, even though we have certain things to help people administer their eye drops uh, appropriately and more accurately, we understand that there is a, can be a, quite a bit of a, a spillage and that presents uh, problems with our community. So that's something that we're working on as well. All of our value-added services, the consultation, the uh, packaging, the shipping, Everything we do is included. Uh, there are no additional prices. As I had mentioned, we accept all different types of insurance. And so the insurance company is who dictates the prices. So your prices for you know, your co-pays, for example, should not increase as a uh, result of uh, going with accessible pharmacy versus any other pharmacy. But that really is, you know, those specific co-pays, I wouldn't be able to tell you what your co-pays would be now, you know, just like on this call. That would be something if you were talking to one of our customer care representatives, they could look at your insurance and say like, okay, your co-pays are, are going to, you know, remain the same at $5 or, or whatever that looks like. But uh, in the vast majority of cases, what we have found is people's prices do not go up as a function of being with accessible pharmacy. Sometimes people could be in a closed loop system, which creates some difficulty that we've run into because the insurance will, and the healthcare loop will dictate that all of the prescriptions need to uh, go through this uh, one specific place. But we're trying to fight that and, and make it, you know, fair, you know, if, we, if we're a, a more accessible option for people they shouldn't have to pay more for, for us that's great we're going to give you a call oh right on thank you if we run out of time and anyone has any specific questions feel free to email me directly my personal email address is andy at accessiblepharmacy.com that's a-n-d-y at accessiblepharmacy.com great let me ask one quick follow-up and then i'm gonna to have to give the closing code you just sort of alluded to it Let's say a person has insurance by an entity that does most of their prescription drugs by a large mail order entity, mm -hmm. and they may even have some accessibility attached to that entity. Are you having success with a company like that saying, you know, we like to provide the services with respect to our blind and low vision person, or would they just say, no, we're not you know, going to we've, we've, we've been very lucky. We actually have been having a great deal of success. And sometimes that success is, is easy. Sometimes, you know, we have to advocate for the patient. And we've also been fortunate. There are people in the community who've been advocating for us. And so to say, we, we, it's, it, it always works out, but more often than not, it does. And we're able to support That's the individual. Great. Okay. Well, I want to thank you gentlemen very much. I hope folks will try and take advantage of their services. We'll certainly keep them in touch with ACB with respect to all of our health campaigns. I want to give the closing code for CEU credits, 46482. That's 46482. 
I want to thank our host and describer and broadcaster, sorry, our streamer, and thank all of you for listening in. So have a lovely rest of your evening and a great convention.